Nice to see you um, and to meet you. I've met some of you before. I won't say who. Um, Matt, obviously. Um, as, he, as he said already, I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm working in private practice. Um, why does that make me someone who should be here? Psychologists, clinical psychologists specifically, are trained in the diagnosis and treatment of severe psychological disorders. So we essentially are allowed to, we see people, we pick it up, we can diagnose and we can refer for medical treatment, but then we also do the inner psychological work with those people in order to help them co uh, overcome, hopefully, those uh, disorders. Um, in my practice, I have a special interest in relationship, marital therapy, essentially, and, and relationship therapy. And then what's grown <coughs> excuse me, out of that is, well, naturally, is, is even more exciting for me, is family work, so family therapy. And that's my main exposure to these dynamics. I'm just giving you some idea of... Um, how credible I am, you can decide whether that qualifies or not. Um, so it's in, it's been interesting that since I've moved, since we relocated to East London from Cape Town, I've had such an increase of doing this kind of clients and doing this kind of work. I think it's because I'm only one of two clinical psychologists in the city, so I think that's probably why there's no other options. Um, so it's been... Uh, it's been a real learning curve for me um, as I've done that. And I've had to integrate all of that knowledge I've accrued over the years into this new dilemma that people are struggling with in families. Um, because of my faith, um, I think Matt pointed out that we knew each other in youth group. So I was fortunately a Christian first and a psychologist second. I think it can be very confusing if it goes the other way around um, because you encounter a whole lot of interesting stuff when you study psychology. And really a lot of it is just someone's idea that they spoke about in complicated enough language for it to become an academic topic. But there's not the thing about psychology actually, and I'm a psychologist, so obviously believe in its value, but a lot of psychology is not evidence-based. Um, it is just a worldview, it's a theory that makes sense, right? But for some reason, um, some people's beliefs start to carry this kind of weight <laughs> in public opinion because they're smart enough, essentially. Um, but yeah, it, it is hard to produce an evidence base in, in psychology because we're studying stuff that you can't put in a test tube and put potassium in it and see what happens to it. You know, it's very different to pharmacy. What color does it spark when you do that? You know, it's like you can't measure a lot of it. Um, but there is a biological basis for a lot of what happens in human mental health. But it's, it's very hard to make causative statements. So that's the first thing I'd tell you about the science of how we treat people, how we handle people, how we understand how people um, develop these, these complexities is um, there are those limitations of you can't make if, you, if you've been someone who's been exposed to how good scientific research is done, it's very hard to make causative statements um, that this definitely caused this. Um, it's extremely hard to do that in general in the profession and certainly with these um, issues. Um, 
But I'm saying all of this, the disclaimer is that I'm not specialized in this issue, okay? It's, it's just coming from my practice. I have to say that to you because I stand here, I still represent my profession. Someone in here can report me to the Health Professions Council afterwards. So I have to be very transparent about that and I'm not even making a joke about that because I, the slides I'm using, this is another disclaimer, these aren't even my slides, these are the slides that have been lent to me by a psychiatrist who I know in Cape Town, who's also a Christian, who has presented on this stuff before. He has had a number of cases opened against him for having these views. They attempted to... He unfortunately shared these views before he had received his degree. So he was waiting for his psychiatry graduation ceremony so they attempted to get UCT to stop issuing his degree, saying that his worldview made him unfit to practice in the field of psychiatry. That wasn't successful. He also, at the same time, had a case against him at the Health Professions Council to try and prevent him registering in the specialization if he got his degree, um, which fortunately, there are some laws in our land which are quite robust and sensical, and those were both unsuccessful. Um, and, and it was because he did this thing that I'm going to try and do here, which is he stuck to what is the scientific research actually saying. And so what the, the problem is that the scientific research says things that are offensive to people, and we live in a culture which says if you offend me, you shouldn't be allowed to do that, even if you're speaking the truth. right? And so... I'm saying up front that what I'm going to give to you is, is hopefully very little of my opinion. <laughs> and when it is my opinion, I'm going to point it out to you. It's very important that you know when it's my opinion. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's what is the data saying? And I'm going to be very careful of we can't make conclusions that aren't, that aren't there. Okay. Um, the other thing too, I'm sure you've had this disclaimer at some point in the weekend, but it is, as I'm standing here, I'm aware that I'm sitting in a room full of people and there's a whole lot of statistics that play in my mind when I talk to a room full of people like this. this and, and we've got to bear in mind that as we sit here, talking about these things touches on personal stuff for people. And I need to apologize in advance that I have to speak about it quite clinically, <laughs> which can sometimes be quite distressing if you are having experiences um, that are being touched on, right? So I know that statistically a third of the people in this room have suffered um, abuse, right? That's what South African statistics say to me, and I would say from my clinical experience that statistic is not accurate, it's too low. Um, so, for example, we'll touch on that. So I can anticipate there's a lot of that in this room, you know? So I, we have to remember, as, even as you ask questions later or if you share opinions, remember you have no idea who's sitting here as you speak about these things and what people have been through. And, and the apology in advance for if there's something painful that is spoken about that actually I'm not doing it justice because of the pain that you've been through, you know. And, and, and please, if, if there is feedback in that regard, please feel free to give it to me. I'm not going to be close to that, okay. So you asked me to speak about parenting. The other qualification you didn't mention that I have, Matthew, is that I have three children. <laughs> it's, it's quite fun. <laughs> Mrs. Gretz knows one of my, my children over there. She knows how much fun Jude is. Um, that's my son. And so 
it's you know I you know I remember when we were in Cape Town and we had our three kids and I was so scared bringing up my kids in Cape Town I remember that feeling actually I had to process that at some point I was like Lord do you really want me to stay in the city for the sake of my like like and he moved us out of Cape Town for other reasons it wasn't about that but I actually had this moment of seeing the reality of that culture and I was seeing it through my practice and I was involved um, with an organization called Freedom of Religion South Africa um, who's done a lot of work in terms of representing the Christian faith in a legal context. I'm not sure how much your church would know about them. Um, I've often given them perspective from a social science perspective and I know the cases that are out there and the the, the legal mandates that are out there um, and the legal agendas that are out there. Um, and I, I know you've heard a bit about worldviews um, today or over the weekend. And there's those worldviews that are out there. There's also legal mandates. For example, South Africa signs documents at the UN that we agree that we're going to roll certain things out. And those things we have to roll out over time eventually, no matter what. You know, there's, there's legal pressure even if those laws aren't here yet, as part of a, as one of the countries who subscribes to those ideals, those laws are but a delay. Um, and and um, why am I saying that again? It's scary being a parent, knowing all of that. <laughs> That's why I was saying it. It's, it's you're sitting there, you know what's around you. I was being exposed to what is even happening in our city in Cape Town. And I was like, it's scary. Actually, and you see your little, these little lives that you love more than your own, and you think, oh my gosh, Lord, like, what does is, what is the future have for them? You know, what is the pressure that's going to be put on them? What are the things that are going to influence them? Because I, I, I imagine if many of the people here share my heart, then it's scary to think that something would um, interfere with your child's um, ability to have a relationship with the Lord ultimately and, and would and could compete with that. And um, we are certainly in a post-Christian era. We, are, they were in, we were in Cape Town. <laughs> yeah, we still, I love the fact that East London's 10, behi- 10 years behind in the culture. I think we need to capitalize on that as, as long as we can, you know, like um, it's, it's, it's a real, there's still a lot of stuff you can get away with here that you certainly would never get away with on a public forum in, in Cape Town. Um, but I, rem- I understand that there, there's fear um, and there's good reasons um, for that fear. Um, one of the things I want to say up front is that conversations around children and sexuality and gender are and these worldviews that you've heard around, <laughs> that what the result of that is that it makes the conversations extremely polarized. You're either all in or you're all out of something. Um, and you can see that politically throughout the world, that things are becoming extreme. You know, It's hard for people who want to kind of see reality and kind of walk in that moderate space that is... Um, reasonable, it's hard to be there because you're being forced to pick a side. Um, And the sides that we pick can affect our children's lives um, and affect our relationship with them. And that's a scary thing. 
Um, I'm sure you've heard about um, the fact that there's a large volume of publicly distributed misleading information on these topics that is out there, everyone's consuming it, and um, there's also incentive, there's financial incentive from companies to get behind this information and propagate it um, and spread misinformation, right? And it's done so cleverly that we don't know it, right? And certainly if, if, if we struggle to see it, our children won't be able to pick it up, right? Um, because I'm also old like Ian, one of the hobbies I've got into is birding. It's relevant, Matt, it's relevant. I think I am the, sorry, Deb. I think I am the youngest member of the Border Bird Life Society, so I'm still happy about that. It used to be about 20 years, it's less now. Um, but there was Pride Month, and I actually was aghast, because one of the, I'm still young enough to have Instagram, and one of the, the organizations that I follow on Instagram is BirdLife International. And on Pride Month, they released this video of this beautiful male bird of paradise. I don't know if you know birds of paradise. There's a wide variety of them. They've got these spectacular colors, and they do these mating dances where they just like puff their feathers up, and there's like, 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 uh, like these neon purples and turquoises and stuff. And they, they like dance around, and it's this it's like this incredible, um, like mind blowing piece of creation. Actually, that's why I'm into the hobby. But it shows this bird of paradise doing all its quirky stuff, and then the slogan, "Nature is diverse," and it's that diversity that causes it to be so prosperous. And how can we as humans be any different? And then, obviously, all these slogans and things about Pride Month. Um, and it just, just struck me because it was so unscientific. <laughs> you know, like, it was definitely a male bird of paradise. <laughs> you know, and that, that really drab, ugly bird it was dancing for was definitely a female bird of paradise. You know, birds, are the, they got it the wrong way around, you know. But um, it, it was just... Like, there's nothing about nature that is not binary <laughs> in that way, you know. But there it was, and they're, they, they're releasing this video to an international audience, aiming it at their North American audience, who's super liberal and who opens the financial taps for them. And that's why they're doing that. It's, it's blatantly, the no birder is confused as to what's happening there, right? But they're using this opportunity to put out a message, which they as an organization if they look at their scientific papers, cannot stand behind. Um, they obviously got lots of likes. But then what happened was, what they didn't anticipate is that their audience is not only North American. <laughs> the problem is they're trying to encourage bird conservation in all these other parts of the world that are very conservative. And one of their main ambassadors is this Muslim girl who's into birding in somewhere in the Middle East. She was suddenly, hey, what's going on here? What's? And then there's suddenly this conversation thread opened up because all these American people who are super liberal were attacking this woman, not realizing she's the ambassador of bird conservation in the Middle East. And so it, it, it was 
I just enjoyed it actually. <laughs> because it's like this is the there is this thing, and Matt, you've referred to this in personal conversation. There's this thing coming where at some point this thing like is gonna come to a head, you know, and, and it's it's the impossibility of of this thing kind of becoming the way that society and there's gonna be a pendulum swing back, you know, essentially is what I'm saying. I'm not finishing my sentence here. But in the meantime, we've got a generation that's gonna be lost in the misinformation. A generation who's not allowed to say, no, I don't agree with this, right? A generation is not allowed to say, I don't feel comfortable with this. Um, and it's scary for Christian parents and families because these polarized conversations can mean that our children make major life decisions that ultimately compete with their ongoing ability uh, to live in a way that's compatible with our faith. I think that's what makes it really scary for Christian parents, right? Um, the other challenge is that parents, um, we, we find this, I'm a lead elder, Matt, you're a lead elder, there's some other elders here. We find that it's hard as an elder to be a gatekeeper of information in churches, right? So you'll hear this person's now listening to that thing and oh, that's really not great, but because information is just available to everyone, that role of we, we can keep our flock safe is really difficult, right? Because the wolf enters through so many doors. And I think as parents, we find that same thing. We, 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 we don't have the ability anymore because of information coming through schools, peers, uh, technology. Um, we aren't the gatekeeper anymore of information that enters into our families. And that can also make it feel very intimidating. And then if you want to be a gatekeeper, everyone says, no, you can't do that. You're going to deprive your child and they need to learn to be in this world. And so we, we sit with these wrestles, like what do we do? Do we let them get exposed to this information? It, it's, there's, and there's all these competing opinions about that. We don't know what to do, but we know it's very important and we don't have the guideline. And Again, with every new technology, with everything that comes out, that we there's a generation that has to learn the hard way, right? Um, Forty years ago, there was a generation that psychologists said this or, pornography is not a bad thing. That's what psychology was saying. Actually, it's you need to embrace it. You don't want to be um, what, sexually repressed. That's what it was. If you weren't that was the words they were using. If you're not embracing pornography and bringing that into your life. And now we know. Now psychologists, even secular psychologists are saying this stuff is bad for the human brain. It affects neurodevelopmental pathways. You shouldn't be exposed to it. It affects your ability to build intimate connections going into the future. It's addictive. Um, it activates neural pathways that real relationships can't compete with. So the person's always dissatisfied. So now we know all of this, right? And that's scientific. But 40 years ago, it wasn't trendy to say that. And anyone who said, no, don't look at pornography, was out of the ark, essentially. And their voice was irrelevant. And there was a generation that had a tap opened with no control over it that was lost to that thing, right? And, and we're, we're the generation that has to learn the hard way about managing this technology and this access to information that no one has ever had to deal with before. Is this okay? Am I making sense? What am I on? What am I on now? 
I'm on 25. Oh, oh no. Okay. What I want to say is that what this causes is fear. Um, and fear is not a helpful emotion when it comes to parenting. Because fear-based parenting leads to stuff that breaks down the parent-child bond. Um, so fear-based parenting leads to the experience for the child that the parent is rigid, or the parent is, um, if you're reacting to something out of fear, the parent um, is being authoritarian, that's the word, or they're being overly harsh, right? The parent suddenly punishes a child harshly because they're freaked out about what the child is doing. The child doesn't see the concept we use as a good, is positive parental intent. The child doesn't see that positive parental intent. They just see this person is harsh. Every time the child experiences something they don't understand, which is a reactive thing that the parent gives them out of fear, the child creates distance, right? And so, We've got to be very careful that we are not responding out of a reaction to fear. I think that's, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that bigger principle of parenting when it comes to this kind of thing. And all the kind of practical things we try and figure out, how does this work? Part of it is, am I just responding to fear? And that's turning off my ability to think rationally and to actually come alongside my child and guide them and be a place where they feel free to come and speak about things, right? If the child feels that my parents are going to react, I can't go there, the chances are high, higher that they're going to go and access other resources <laughs> when it comes to processing decision-making. Um, and, and the biggest thing that you're going to be to your child in this world is somewhere where they feel safe to go. Um, where they know that you're going to be able to contain yourself and deal with whatever they bring you. And what that builds is what we call in psychology a secure attachment. And when children have a secure attachment with their parent, when their parent feels like they're available, they're accessible, they can be reasonable, they can listen, they don't jump to quick conclusions, the research says to us that children, when they experience that, internalize their parents' values, right? And they actually, they trust the parent, so they trust everything about the parent. They trust the parent's values, they trust the parent's decision-making, and that's the, the chances, that's, that's, that's the biggest determinant. Your attachment with your child is the biggest determinant in research as to whether they will take on your values in the future or not. Um, if there's a breakdown in that attachment, the chance is higher that they won't take on your values. Um, and this is a very, this is like a golden rule that goes throughout all of these parenting topics throughout psychology. Um, yeah, and, and it's actually the thing that brings safety to anything that your child is exposed to or brings home. Um, I feel like there's going to be questions, and the content, which I won't show the slides of, 
I'll answer as I answer questions, because it will help me know which content is relevant. Is that okay? I think I'd rather do that. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, I think it's a better format than just going through more boring slides. Mm. Have I made sense thus far? Okay, just checking. <laughs>